What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another draft podcast on the Baseball America podcast feed. I'm Carlos Colazzo, joined, as always, by Peter Flaherty, who might be in a little bit of a haze at this point after all <laughs> of the content that he's been pumping out for the site. He is, I think you're behind, you're, you're done with the college preview for the magazine, and then you immediately rolled out a top 100 uh, 2025 college draft list, which is on the site now. So, Peter, uh, hopefully you have a little bit of energy saved for next week when college actually gets started. But how are you doing, man? Oh, I'm I'm doing great. I'm, like, finally emerging from my cave after turning out a ton of fun content. We, we finished up the website of the college preview, and um, in conjunction with that, uh, I rolled out an initial top 100 2025 college guys, which was a lot of fun to do. I... I had an initial list of 10 with, with pretty detailed reports, but outside of those guys, I had nothing. So it was basically uh, a fresh ranking 11 through a hundred with, with fresh reports. So yeah. at this stage where the cycle hasn't even begun, I just wanted to put an emphasis on, on getting the right guys in there. And mm-hmm. I hope and think I did, but I'm always open to feedback. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's funny because even for the current year draft class, I very much think of, this stage on the calendar is just the starting point. There's so much that's going to change for these 2024 players in three or four months. Um, so locking in a list and feeling confident that it's like a great finalized product seems crazy. It does seem like the top players in any given draft class establish themselves fairly early on. Like it's obviously easier to identify the top players in a draft class earlier than someone who's going to wind up being maybe a third rounder. Um, so maybe it's just a good kind of snapshot of where we see the class now. Um, when Ben started doing underclass rankings and reporting on high school players, I always thought it was just nice to have just sort of a longer tail of reporting on these players. You get to know them a little bit earlier. You feel more comfortable with them when you start to, when I start to really dive into them and scout them up and watch them regularly. Um, just that familiarity that you gain, I think is interesting. And so if you guys really are crazy draft fans and draft Knicks and just really excited about the amateur game in the last two weeks or so, we have 400 different scouting reports for the 2024 and 2025 draft classes. We've got the top 200 list on the 24 side. We've got Peter's early look at the 2025 college side. We've got a high school list uh, that Ben put out top 100 on the high school players. Um, so you really can get a, a huge jump start on the draft. If you're just a fan of the draft, if you're in maybe crazy dynasty fantasy leagues, that is kind of open universe and you can look at some of these players. But I, I thought it was interesting looking through both of the lists. We're going to talk through a combined like joint 2025 list here in the next few days. So look out for that and in the upcoming weeks at Baseball America. But I got to say, Peter, the, the 2025 class has me pretty excited in a way that I don't think 24 has really captured me yet. Yeah, I think especially, and we we talked about it a little bit off air just in Slack yesterday with Ben, but the 25 high schoolers in particular, I think it's a really exciting group, and um, we'll we'll continue to dive more in depth with that. But also at the top with, with the college guys, I love that trio of Canarilla, Lavalette, Petri, um, and Bodine, I guess, Quartet. And then there are some arms in there, too, that I think are going to really pop, whether it be this year or next year with Tyler Bremner, Matt Scott, Cam Leiter has been one of, if not the best college arms this fall in just terms of, you know, sheer performance and impressiveness. And if he can put it all together this year at Florida State, he's going to be in for a a really, really big time spring with, with a Team USA summer. So um, I'm excited about him. And then there are other guys deeper down this list and, um, 
towards the end that you know not a lot of people know of right now but i think this spring they're they're in line for elevated roles in their sophomore years or you know even even some of these draft eligible sophomores in 25 um they'll be immediate impact guys as true freshmen and i hope and think will become household names so uh i hope so with how i ranked them but um no it'll be a lot of fun and then if you're a draft hound as you said los i mean there is there's enough content to hold you over for a while and then not to even get to get too far down into it. We're even planning on at least myself, like a top 25 or so 2026 at some point in March. So that's yeah. At some point when we get a better feel for the actual like highly talented prospects who made it to campus, then seeing who's playing, uh, who has made a jump from their amateur days. Like I, I think it would be cool to get started on the 2026 college class just so like, for all three years that we're really focused on, maybe the, the college seniors get a little bit of short shift from the draft perspective, but just so we have some perspective on all three of the the main years, uh, I think would be pretty cool. But yeah, it feels like we definitely need some timing for actual college games to be played. <laughs> yeah, exactly. One thing that jumps out to me just when looking at both of these lists, uh, twenty five, it it and maybe it'll it could change, I guess, a year from now. But we really have a large number of up the middle athletic toolsy players that you you've got tools in the 2024 class i don't want to misconstrue things but there are a lot more shortstops and center field profiles and one of the biggest critiques we've gotten from the 24 class um and this will maybe be expanded upon more in a piece that's going on the site friday so as you're listening to this it, it might already be on the site but when scouting directors graded out the draft class for us as part of our preseason all america balloting uh, just a common critique that the class got was a lot of the players at the top of the list are corner profiles or are likely to be corner profiles at the next level. And if you look at the top 30 or so of um, maybe like top 15 of the high school side, top 15 of the college side, there are just a ton of shortstops on the high school side led by Ethan Holiday, who I would be shocked if he wasn't our number one overall prospect in the class. The high school shortstop, just quantity and quality is significant. It reminds me of... I believe it was the 2020 draft year when we had Jordan Lawler, Marcella Meyer, Brady House. Uh, who's the fourth shortstop there? Uh, Khalil Watson. That that really impactful group of shortstops. Um, I, I know scouts really loved that in that draft year, and it looks like 2025 could be shaping up in a similar way. So that has me excited. Obviously, if you've listened to me talk about prospects in the draft at all, you'll know that just high school shortstops as a profile is the most appealing to me. I think that's reasonably true as a general statement for the industry as well. Yeah. And I, I think even on the college side with, with looking up the middle, you've got even in the top can Canarella is a pretty safe bet. I think at this point to stick in center. And then a guy that I even kicked around sticking at one, which at this point would have been a bold call is coastal Carolina catcher, Caden Bodine. I mean, he's one of, regardless of class he is one of i think the best pure hitters in the country he's got a solid defensive skill set he receives really well he's got soft hands like he's gonna stick at catcher and you know catchers who can hit like that are at a big time premium so i'm assuming he hits again this year like he's a usa guy and then you know if he just continues to hit and prove himself behind the dish he's gonna be a really interesting one come draft day in 25 which is eons away and then even jace lavalette up at the top they're gonna at a&m he's gonna get some run in center this spring so uh yeah, for a, his i saw jace lavalette with uh, team usa this past summer 
and he moved around the field a lot better than I expected for someone his size. So I'll be very intrigued to see what like the defensive reviews of him are if he does get some time in center field. Because uh, I kind of looked at him and was like, oh, that's a corner outfielder. And then he started running. And I was like, hold on a minute. Maybe not. Yeah, I saw, again, I got him on the Cape in his like initial seven-game stint. And I had the same exact mindset as you. And then I was just mm-hmm. watching him move around, you know, even in batting practice, shagging fly balls and then in-game. He moved really well, and I got above average borderline plus run times on him. So mm. uh, he is he's a really freaky player in his own right. And again, the cycle of 25s really hasn't even begun yet. So these guys will be very fun to watch on the back burner um, this season. Yeah, like, I mean, Chase DeLauder, it would be like a similar profile to me in terms of a, a bigger player that I instinctively think of as a corner outfielder, and he's still... It looks like he's basically splitting half his time in center field and half his time in right field in the minors. So the fact that he's still playing center field, my my immediate impressions with Laviolette, like where I thought he was a better mover than DeLauder in center field. So that one will be very intriguing because his offensive tools are pretty exciting as well, obviously. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right. Well, let's move into maybe some of our preseason All-America teams that dropped on the site earlier this week. I, I'd say this every year. But I'll just reiterate it here on the podcast. But I really love that our preseason All-America teams are voted on by scouting departments in the industry. I feel like that just adds a little bit more value to readers. And I think it's probably more exciting for the players themselves to be named All-Americans when it's coming from scouts in the industry and particularly scouting directors who are leading these departments. Um, and because of that, our, our preseason All-America lists are also fairly predictive of the first round in general. Both of the first teams here, um, a majority of these first teams on the college and high school side are going to make up the first round of the draft. Uh, It was interesting, though, and I'm curious if you had any surprises on the list. We only had two unanimous first-teamers on either list. That is Kate Arambide um, at catcher for the high school class and then Cam Caminiti uh, as as the first pitcher on the high school class. Those were both first-team unanimous players. On the college side, we had Nick Kurtz at first base, who was unanimous, and then Jack Caglione at utility. Uh, I think both Kurtz and Caglione, Kurtz, Caglione, and then Aaron Bede, just because of the relative weakness of competition at their specific positions and their their strengths as players overall, maybe not shocking. Like, like I don't think Nick Kurtz is in an entirely different universe of prospect than a J.J. Weatherholt and Travis Bazana, but J.J. Weatherholt and Travis Bazana on our list were both competing for votes. So just kind of the position that you're at plays into this, obviously. Uh, but were you surprised with either the unanimous selections or specific players who wound up on the list, or what were your takeaways from seeing the results of, of scouting directors voting? Not fully half of the industry, but close to it, which was cool. Yeah, I wasn't with the unanimous selections. I wasn't really surprised at all. One, because they're outstanding players in their own right. And then I also think you brought up a key point being the beneficiary of the position that they're at, especially with Aaron Bide in the high school class, um, the high school catching class, maybe the lack of depth there. And then scrolling farther down the list, I was particularly interested in the catcher spot. Um, It's an interesting trio at the top of the board on the college side with Malcolm Moore, Loma Vida, and Cozart. And so I was interested to see how those guys would stack out and seeing Loma Vida get the nod on the second team um, above Cozart, I thought was was very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Moore being that slam dunk first teamer um, also was. I wouldn't have been totally shocked if Loma Vida ended up on the first team, mm. at, at first team either. And then looking 
Yeah, the the catcher, I think that one is also really fascinating outside of, and maybe that even is the most, the single most competitive position on on either of these teams actually looking at it. Because Moore, Loma Vida, and Cozart each got multiple first round or first team votes. Um, It was, I'd say, fairly split in the industry with how those players were viewed, but it did help inform our updated draft rankings as well. Because I think prior to this balloting, we had our college catcher order was Cozart, Loma Vida, Malcolm Moore. And one of the reasons we had Malcolm Moore lower is I think there's just more there are more questions about whether or not he sticks to that position at the next level. His offensive, his power, his pure hitting ability is is pretty impressive. Obviously dating back to his high school days, um, but really that order got flipped uh, on our most recent update because of this voting. So now we have them kind of clustered together a little bit more inside the back half of the first round. Um, so it'll be interesting if we do get any separation with these players throughout the season. If, if Loma Vida, a guy who you've long been pretty high on, if he takes a step forward and kind of establishes himself as a top guy in the class, if Moore retains that, um, if Jacob Cozart just keeps hitting, I know his his jump from his freshman year to his sophomore year at NC State was pretty significant. But for me personally, it's hard to shake what I saw Cozart doing with Team USA. But that that is a, a strong group overall at catcher and a, a really tightly um, contested group, I guess. Yeah, big time. And then with the starting pitchers, I, I think that was another group that I had honed in on. You had really no surprise at all with with Hartle, Burns, and Hagen Smith, one, two, and three, in no order um, as first teamers. But then I guess a little bit of a surprise to me was Drew Beam getting that final nod over mm-hmm. arms like Trey Savage, Jonathan Santucci, Brody Brecht. Um, I think that's a a real testament to beam. Um, and then it, I think, as you said, similarly with Cozart, you know, if he just hits this spring, um, he's probably, you know, he might get the, get a little edge over Loma Vida. I think if Brecht comes out and throws quality strikes, establishes himself as a starter, he is, um, you know, he's going to skyrocket up, up all of these boards. So um, that was another one. And then I think, Diving in a little bit deeper and a little more nuanced, I think uh, it's a little bit of a testament to the talent at the top of the 25s with Canarella and Lavalette getting second team All-American nods in the outfield over you know someone like a Carson Benj or a Will Turner or Dakota Jordan. So um, I thought that was interesting as well. Yeah, both those outfielders showing up, just again, I guess all three of them with Lavila, Canarella, and then did you mention Petrie on the third team? Uh, no, I didn't. I thought I, I was not surprised to see him make it <laughs> yeah, um, at all. But Just the presence of all of these players, because typically I'm sure there are other preseason All-America lists that are maybe more spread throughout multiple draft classes, but ours is, is obviously very concentrated on the current year draft class, which maybe there's just a general correlation with current year draft class and and people who deserve the award in general but since ours is driven by the industry they're focused on the 2024 draft class so if there are players who are roughly equivalent it's typically easier for the 24 member to get that nod Um, so it is interesting to see a number of the underclass players here i think maybe the most notable one that stands out on this list is ethan holiday uh he was a first team member of the middle infield on the high school list which is I think among all of these positions, college and high school, middle infield for the high school class is typically the most competitive spot. Um, We don't separate shortstop and second base on the high school side like we do on the college side, just because most of the top players at middle infield in high school are playing shortstop. And so 
we want to be able to get more of those shortstops on the team. Same with corner infield. We basically just want to, uh, there are some years where you just really don't have many great high school first base prospects. Um, so just making it corner infield helps with that and spreading out some of the talent on the teams. Um, but <laughs> it's kind of shocking that Ethan Holiday, and maybe it's not shocking. I think it's a testament to both his talent and the relative down year of the middle infield group of 2024. He, he's the first underclass player to make a first team preseason list or preseason team since I've been doing this. So that goes back to the 2018 draft class. We've never had an underclassman crack a first team preseason list. So, I, I mean, I know Ethan Holiday already has plenty of hype just given his brother was the first overall pick, is the number one prospect in baseball, his dad, longtime big leaguer, Hall of Very Good, if not Hall of Famer. Um, but the hype continues to build for Ethan Holiday and it's just crazy to me that at this position he's he's cracking a first team list and it reminds me of all the scouts who were watching him last summer like really wishing he was in this 24 class because again i think he would rank probably as the number one prospect in the 24 class if he were eligible yeah when you i remember when you came back with the results of the um of the voting and and you said that holiday was a, a first teamer i was blown away because one it's an obvious testament to his ability. But again, you mentioned the fact that it's at a premium position too. And I think that's just a, a further testament to who he is as a prospect. And um, as we're going through this and, and combining our list, I think he's going to rank very, very close uh, to the top um, on our college and high school 25 list. And then I, I guess going further down, you're more, you're more familiar with the high schoolers than I am. Um, there was another 25, no, or, um, excuse me. I, yeah, there were Bryce Rayner obviously is a middle infielder. It's going to be interesting to see the, the camp that he eventually ends up in. I, I'm very sold on him as a pitcher. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, he's interesting because he made the second team as a middle infielder and the third team as a pitcher. And I think that maybe speaks to the fact that he is probably the best two-way player in the class, not named um, Jack Caglione, obviously, just given what Jack has done at the college level. But in the high school side, there are a number of like actual two-way players that maybe could do both in college. I think Bryce could probably do both at the pro level. I'm with you. I'm more in on him as a pitcher. But the fact that he and, he... and he barely missed the first team middle infield. I would say the fact that Ethan Holiday made that team, he didn't like blow everyone out of the water. Carter Johnson actually had the most first-team votes. But... It was Carter Johnson, Ethan Holiday, and then Bryce Rayner, just a few points shy of Ethan Holiday. So it wasn't like it was no competition there. Um, and I think that maybe is just a reminder of how legitimate Bryce Rayner's tools are as a hitter, even if we maybe prefer him, his upside as a pitcher. Yeah, no, big time. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Awesome. I'm just kind of scanning the list to see if there's any other players that jump out. But I also wanted to bring up best tools since with this voting, we also ask uh, directors to vote for best tools in both the college and the high school class. And because we kind of drafted some best tools in both of these classes, I thought that might be interesting as well. Uh, I guess I'll throw it to you, Peter. Were there any names that jumped out or were surprising to you um, or maybe did you think opposite of that like oh all these are kind of right on and the names you would have expected i guess we can start with the college list if you want yeah i in in an initial scan there wasn't anything that i thought was too surprising i guess best command not having danny avidia at -hmm. all in the top three i thought that was uh quite surprising i don't know if it was more like they're basing it maybe on slam dunk top two round guys Mm -hmm. um instead of you know, a, a look down the whole board, but not seeing him at all in the top three was surprising. Um, again, I know it's a deep cut guy. Darian Pendergrass is without, he's a top three runner in college baseball, I think. Um, and then elsewhere, I, there's, there was nothing that I saw that was um, too shocking. I don't, I don't know about you, but I, I think also with best defensive shortstop, seeing Merrick Houston there at number three, he's a 25 guy. Um, I think that's a little bit of a, a foreshadowing. And if, if Houston hits it all, he needs to add a lot of impact. But um, if Houston hits it all this year, he's he's a USA guy. Yeah. Um, and he's probably in that Anthony Silva or so range in 25. He does need to add um, a lot of strength and impact at the plate, though, to be hmm. to be completely sold on him in that um, area. But he's a, he's a legit dude. And then... With best infield arm, Cam Smith at one. I don't. I don't think that's super surprising. And then with best catcher arm, uh, Brian Arndt at three. I I was happy to see him get a nod because in my deep dive into the CAA for the preview, um, he was. I mean, he's got he's got a bazooka back there. So. <laughs> um, yeah, I will say for um, best command um, to to Daniel Vidia's credit, there were only five players who got votes for that category. It was very close between, I mean, I, maybe not very close. Josh Hartle was kind of the guy that everyone was voting for, um, so he was kind of the the runaway number one. But after that, extremely close between guys like Drew Beam, Luke Holman, Daniel Vidia, and then Matt Agier. Um, so those seem to be the at least the favorites in the industry for that category. Just given what we've talked about with Avidia, I, I maybe expected him to be one or two. So I'm maybe with you there. Not seeing him like locked into the top three is maybe a little bit surprising. One of the other ones that I liked, and this doesn't necessarily show up on the final list, but um, Nick Kurtz did get a vote for best defensive infielder, which I thought was fun. It reminds me of Trey Morgan getting some votes. And he might have even cracked a top three last year um, in this same category. But obviously this this category is typically filled with shortstops. I mean, it's, it's normal that your best defender plays shortstop on the infield. Um, and so it, it follows that a lot of elite defensive shortstops would make up a best defensive infielder list. But I think it's just a testament to how good of an athlete Kurtz is. 
um, and how great a defender he can be at first base. Again, you're not drafting him at first base for his glove work, but the fact that he is just exceptional there at the position um, maybe helps you feel a little bit better about it. I mean, I'm not sure how much that will change the offensive threshold he needs to reach um, to have value there. There there aren't a lot of big leaguers who are great gloves and light bats at the position, Um, but I do think it is just a nice reminder that he is a great defender at the position. The industry sees that. Um, and kind of as a nod towards that, he he got some down ballot votes there, so that was cool. Well, yeah, one one other guy that showed up in two categories um, that I think if he hits this spring could could really boost his stock is John Spikerman. Mm, um, that's a good one. I'm glad you brought him up because there are always a few players on who get. I would say like 95 percent of the players who get votes at all, like I'm aware of them. John Spikerman, I was not aware of as much as I probably should have been prior to this. Yeah, so he was behind he's second behind Vance Honeycutt in turn on the best defensive outfielder. I'm assuming Honey Vance was almost unanimous. Um yeah, in that I category. Think, let me pull that one up just so I have it here. Um but this this is best defensive outfielder, is that what you're talking yes. about? Yeah, he was I would say like a single vote shy of being just unanimous. Um we don't do like unanimous for best tools, but because some teams vote for just one player, some teams vote for multiple players for each category, so it's kind of hard to parse that. But yeah, he was he was the runaway leader there. Right. So that's unsurprising. Then he also got votes as fastest runner behind Honeycutt and Austin Overn. And like Spikerman as a freshman was excellent for Oklahoma. He hit three seventeen. Uh, he had eleven extra base hits, twelve bags last year. The the production took a step up at the plate average went a little bit down but he swiped 27 bags and then he had an okay summer on the cape but i mean he's a 70 runner he's got a really good baseball iq he's got quick little hands at the plate with um with good feel for the barrel so i think if he if the average again can take a step forward and the and the production can can take us another positive step in the right direction i think he's a guy that um, he could really position himself well in the draft as a potential, hmm. I don't know, fifth to fifth to eighth round type. Like 30, 30 bags for him is not out of the question this year at Oklahoma. And that's a team that loves to run and push the pace. Yeah. All right. Uh, do you have any other college names? I was going to move over to the high school list unless you had someone else you wanted to mention or a, a player you thought you were surprised about in either direction. No, I didn't. Nothing really took me by by too much of a surprise. I I think like. Yeah, there were there were no names here that I was totally mm. surprised about seeing or not seeing. Um, yep. I guess Matson with best changeup from what I saw, but again, we're talking about like a super deep cut like reliever yeah. type, so that's mm-hmm. not not very surprising. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's move over to the high school side. Um, I'd say the one standout for me here is the fact that PJ Orlando ranked number one uh, as best hitter and number one as best power in a class where I don't know that we have like a a slam dunk high school top prospect. I think that's a pretty compelling argument to make if the industry thinks you're the high school player who has the best hit tool and the best power tool. That's a pretty good indication of just what they think of you in general. Um, When like tie breaking for these things, that's where I would tend to lean. However, if you are more of the Connor Griffin fan, if you're, yeah, if you're more of like a Connor Griffin fan in general, uh, and you want to dream on those tools, he was a pretty pretty easy runaway favorite for best athlete. He finishes number one in best athlete. Um, and then just seeing the other categories where Griffin landed on best tools, he got uh, number three in fastest runner, 
number one in best outfield arm. So he cracks a lot of these categories. I don't think he got votes for either best hitter or best power. Let me just confirm that. Yeah, so he got a couple votes for best power. Um, no votes for best pure hitter. Um, so if, if the... I'm not sure how to how to phrase this, but the the dilemma between PJ Morlando and Connor Griffin, if that exists, it has not been solved or eased for us with this best tools voting. Yeah, yeah, and I think seeing Morlando one one at best pure hitter and best pure and best power, um, that's that was very loud for me personally. And then I circling back to Griffin, I saw a video surfaced of him recently and it was a very controlled setting preseason um, type thing, but he was, he looked really, really good off the mound. Like it was an easy 95 to 97 ripped off a couple really good sliders. Like after six, you five, mentioned, eight. after you mentioned liking him on the mound last week on the podcast, Peter, I had a scout reach out and was like, yeah, I'm kind of agree with Peter here. I, I like him more as a pitcher. So that, that opinion exists in the industry. <laughs> I'm glad it does, but no, I'm as the spring goes on, I'm I'm really, really curious to see like if that becomes a little bit more of a debate. I think right now he's he's pretty heavily favored as a as a position player. Um mm-hmm. that tool set is really, really hard to take take the bat out of his hands, at least at this point. But mm-hmm. again, I, I would not sleep on him at all um as a potential pitcher long term because that is yeah. Again, you've got a freak athlete who is bumping 95, 97 pretty easily right now. The slider, I think, has plus potential. Yeah. Um, so, I again, he's a he's a very, as you put it, he's a tool shed. Uh, there's no toolsier player out there. So he's mm-hmm. going to be extremely fun to follow. And then I think best infielder, best defensive infielder, I Manny Marin at one, I'm kind of kicking myself. I had never admittedly never really knew much about him mm, uh, until yeah. I saw him at one. So he's a guy I need to clearly do a lot more digging. He on. was, um, so he was team USA shortstop for the U 18 national team last fall. And initially they had, not initially for most of the tournament in Taiwan, he was batting at the bottom of the lineup and that team was really struggling to hit. It was basically more Lando and no one else hitting except for Marin. He was, he was really hitting well. I think he finishes the number two hitter on the team in that tournament and then either the last game or one of the few like the last two games of the tournament he got moved up to the top of the lineup finally um but yeah he is a very slick defender um really instinctual with the glove all the tools necessary to stick the position it's just a light a light bat and not a super overpowering tool set by any means so i'll be interested to see how that profile is viewed in the draft he feels like a profile that typically scouts let go to college and then if he hits all of a sudden, we're talking about a top two round guy, maybe like a Merrick Houston type. Um, but yeah, his his defensive ability is pretty impressive, and watching him just play the position there is is fun. One of the tools on the high school side that stood out to me was best breaking ball, um, and William Schmidt being the top player in this category for curveball specifically. I've thought in the past about whether or not it'd be it'd be better to break up best breaking ball into best slider, best curveball. I still am not sold on either direction there. I think I, I kind of default to leaving it as is. So we have just one fewer category that we're asking the scouting directors to vote on because it's a fairly long poll as is. Um, but just the fact that Schmidt was number one in best breaking ball while throwing a curveball, I thought was impressive because most of the time the, the players who are winning this category are throwing sliders these days. It's rare to see a curveball top the list. So 
the fact that Schmidt throws a curveball that has a case as the best breaking ball in the class overall, I think is just fairly cool. Um, and then for best changeup too, that one maybe in the opposite direction. There were a ton of players who got votes, and I don't know that there's necessarily like one overpowering changeup in the class, which is a bummer for me as someone who loves changeups. But um, yeah, kind of looking through to see if there are any other takeaways. But I was gonna I, say with with Manny Marin, I when I saw that he was the number one defensive infielder, I went and looked him up. Um, and the first thing I saw was like a USA baseball tweet of him going deep in the hole to his backhand side and making a jump throw in the air to first and getting a guy out on team Korea by like a step and a half. It was like the, yeah. I had like the Antonio Banderas, like leaning away <laughs> from the computer, like reaction gif in, in real life form. Um, he's <laughs> like, the defense is no joke. I think if he gets to campus, um, he's committed to Tennessee. I think if he gets to campus, um, he is going to be a, a very, very fun guy to follow because, like you said, if the if the back can take a step forward and Tennessee can develop him as a hitter, mm. um, that's going to become a, a very, very appealing profile. It already is with, with yeah. him being a slam dunk to stick at shortstop where he's a plus defender, but um, even more so. Mm. Yeah, we, we just have him ranked in that range where like a lot of these high school players do get to campus. We have him ranked inside the top 200. He's been a reasonably prominent player on the draft circuit for his glove work. Like maybe he flies under the radar a little bit because he's just not known as a great hitter. Um, and so if, if you have, I mean, like you said, he's a Tennessee commit. I imagine the price tag is reasonably high. He's just kind of in that no man's range for high school players where if this is where on talent, most of the industry views him, his signing bonus ask is just probably going to be too high. He'll go to school. Again, like you said, if he hits, he'll, he'll shoot up boards. So it's just kind of that typical profile for me. But he's a really intriguing prospect. And I know um, the staff with Team USA was just doing nothing but raving about what, what Marin did for them, both in the field and off the field. So he's a he's a fun one. Yeah, I can see why. Did A couple questions I had. One, did Bryce Rayner get any votes for best curveball? Because I know that it was – you're looking at a very, very microscopic snapshot. But he, <laughs> I, that area code – showing that he had off the mound was was unbelievable i know you're there in person but even yeah. just watching it on synergy i was like holy cow i was curious <laughs> if that was enough to get yeah one uh, for best spring well i doubt he, it but he did not he didn't I, yeah. I am with you i think he fits with all the players here there were nine different players who got votes for best breaking ball uh bryce trainer was not one of those but uh, i mean i would be with you i think it's a easy plus projection for the pitch and Maybe it simply is the case. I mean, outside of area codes, I don't know where he pitched, so maybe it's just a matter of not seeing him throw it enough. Yeah, I one also going keeping in the in the best breaking ball category is it was nice because I think you picked Schmidt for your curveball, I picked Oki for my slider um, for for our best breaking balls. I picked mm. Rainer for my curveball, but we did divide yeah. it into two. And then also with the arms, Caminiti being the best command guy while also being the best athlete um yeah. i think is was was pretty loud and he's also um not to forget he's got a, a pretty lively fastball as well to 96 from the left side so i think that is mm -hmm. a little bit of a a peak under the hood and a sneak peek to you know where he might be selected in july and it's very high yeah I, i'm actually surprised that kim and Nitty did not rank higher in best fastball voting uh i i view his fastballs as one of the better in the class he did get a vote it, it didn't it wasn't enough to put him in the top three for that category i think there are some other pitchers that just the pure velocity numbers are maybe more exciting um he got votes for best fastball movement as well 
Um, but there were other players like Carson Wiggins and Joey Oki who, who kind of dominated those categories. Um, but one thing that this balloting and this voting did sort of show for me is that to the extent that there is a pitcher who's viewed as the consensus top arm, I'm not sure that Caminiti quite reaches that consensus top high school pitcher in the class category. Um, but it feels like overall the industry has the most conviction in him right now. And that athleticism, the fact that the fastball plays so well, the body, the projectability that he has moving forward with with a, uh, more room to fill out that frame, it just felt like the industry was, was pretty confident in him. Again, he was one of four players who was a unanimous first-teamer. Part of that is because there are a lot of um, options for pitchers. You can, you can kind of not be the first or second or third pitcher and still uh, on any given ballot and still be unanimous first-teamer, but there's a lot more competition for high school pitching and for college pitching. So... Um, I thought that was just interesting. The results for for Cam and Idiot maybe gave me a little bit more conviction in in his pitching profile moving forward. Yeah, no, I I I, I agree wholeheartedly. And one other guy I was wondering about: Did Caleb Bonnerberg get votes? Um, I know he's a first teamer. Did he get votes in any of these superlative categories? Yeah, he got votes in best pure hitter, okay, best power, nice. best defensive infielder, best infield arm. I don't know if he did. He crack the top three in any of those. He got no, that's... In closest to the majors. So I, it sounds like he like does a lot of these things really well, but maybe his tools don't stand out to the degree that like another player in a specific category might. So I think the, the well-roundedness of his profile from this best tools voting under the hood sticks out to me more with Bonimer than like a specific tool where he's just clearly the best at. Yeah. I'm curious to see if at the end of the cycle, the superlatives were revisited. Cause I think, a guy who'd probably end up here is um, Chris Lavonis from right-hander from New Jersey. Um, I, he had a the one of the loudest performances recently at the PBR Super 60. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I know that there are some the, some scouts in his area that have been really high on him, um, even dating back to like last fall. So, um, yeah, he he did have a good Super 60. There's always a few arms I feel like that really pop off at that event. So, yeah. Cool. Um, well, Peter, do you have anything else before we get out of here? No, nothing. Cool. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening. We are officially one week away from College of Baseball. So next week we'll be talking about the games we're about to see. I'm sure we'll be plugging to a lot of look-ahead content that you have next week. So I can't wait. We're very close now. Um, but, yeah, thank you guys for listening. Definitely go check out the site. Tons of content for you to consume just on the college and draft side. Um, but outside of that, we've got more fantasy content rolling out. We're about to start doing MLB preview content. Uh, the big leagues are coming as well. They'll have to wait a little bit longer than the amateur amateur players to get started, but that's happening. Um, so yeah, uh, Peter, any, any last words? No, I, you hit the nail on the head. There is so much content for whatever you like, especially if you're a college and draft nut. Like there is, everything is on the site right now. So please go check it out. And then again, the college season is just a week away. And then we really hit the ground running until really through the draft. So uh super fun times ahead and we've got a ton of fun stuff planned yeah all right well thank you all for listening and we'll see you next week take care